cliffcentral.com. All right. Um, we do have to get into some serious things. We could talk nonsense all morning, but I'm thrilled to say that this morning, Jean-Jacques Cornish is back with Ooh, a little African analysis. So it's time it. to catch up with JJ Cornish. It's brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. We're looking at what's happening around the African continent. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about South Africa and Madagascar because people keep asking about this. And uh, JJ has done a little digging and he found out what's really happened. Uh, so first of all, JJ, nice to see you. How are you? Bonjour. I'm immensely well. And it's so kind of both of you to ask. Hang on. There we go. It's my fault. There not yours. Is. How are you? I'm immensely well. Super, super. Good, good, good. I love a, a full-throated, I'm feeling good. Not like one of these... Um, right. So it's nice to hear from you. So JJ, well, wait until I've started drinking, then you'll see how cheerful oh. I really am. <laughs> well, I, that would that would be a fun uh, afternoon, but we can't do it so early in the morning, though. I mean, there's even even Churchill only started at nine a.m. Hey, it's the afternoon. Well, somewhere I, there, I, right? I don't have any gaps in my diary late <laughs> afternoon, so you'll have to slot in oh. somewhere. <laughs> okay, well, so we'll just we'll just catch up with you wherever you happen to be drinking. So, JJ, uh, this question with Madagascar and South Africa, it's come up a couple of times on African Analysis. People have asked you directly what's happening. They've resumed flights. Um, what, what was the whole uh, mess between South Africa and Madagascar actually about? Well, how long back do you want to go? You know, Andrew Rajolina, <laughs> the disc jockey who overthrew Mark Ravalo Manana, uh, yes. He is no friend of South Africa's. He doesn't no. love us at all. Mark Ravalo Manana in uh, that year, 2009, sheltered in South Africa, you will recall. And yes. uh, so Rajolina wasn't very happy about that. And uh, South Africa taking a very strong line on unconstitutional changes in government. And we'll talk about that a bit later. Was, uh, was put, uh, yes. pushed very hard to get. Uh, Madagascar thrown out of or red carded from uh, SADC until it uh, regularized its position. Uh, he, there's also uh, an issue of how much he's making from this gold smuggling. Now, effectively, back uh, two years ago, uh, the, the three Madagascans, three Malgash citizens came through uh, ORT and they were carrying 73 and a half kilograms of gold, unwrought gold. That's about $4 million worth. And uh, they were arrested. Indeed, they were arrested. They also had $20,000 in cash. Now, the case against those three uh, continues. And uh, twelve, there were 12 arrests, some very high officials in Madagascar at the time. So it was a big story. This is gold that they were taking to Dubai. Now, uh, Mark Ravalomanana has sought new avenues for that then he gets the gold out nonetheless still gets it into dubai but the fact is he's demanding that south africa return that gold to him and south africa saying this is smuggled goods and it's evidence nothing is happening until until this case is over now the actual ban on flights began because of covid or that was the uh essentially the official reason but the rest of the countries, Turkey, Le Réunion, Mayotte, Mauritius, Ethiopia, France, all their flights were allowed back in when the mm. ban was lifted in April last year, but not South Africa. Now, the, the thing is, there's a lot of investment and a lot of tourism coming from South Africa. So 
Madagascar was losing it. And South Africa sent special envoys. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes work. I spoke to one of those special envoys about it. And essentially, they were saying to Ravalo Marana, forget the past and forget about uh, difficulties you might perceive. If you have a problem with us, just communicate. You know, that's what it's about. Talk to us. We're here. Talk to us. Let's get it over. Now, eventually, they pushed uh, Madagascar hard enough, and business within Madagascar pushed them hard enough to realize that they couldn't continue with this ban, and they've uh, reinstated uh, SA Airlink, and th- that's the only – because until then, it was only Air France that flew directly, and one had to go to Paris to get to Madagascar. I mean, so that's so crazy. That, that has now uh, regularized itself, but relations with – uh, Madagascar could improve all the time. And and as we sit, uh, Madagascar's suffering yet another huge cyclone. You, you've seen that if you watch the mm. the weather. Uh, and, 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 you know, this is the time of year that they suffer it. I mean, I, I, I adore that country, and I've been there as an election observer a couple of times. I remember flying back from it with an aid worker who said, do you know about the plague in such and such a place? And I said, God, Jeez. no, I hadn't heard of it. They have, what is that? That's yeah, they have plague in Madagascar virtually every year. So they have real, real grown-up problems and uh, environmental problems, uh, natural problems, and problems of corruption. Now, uh, uh, you know, the, they persuaded uh, uh, Rajolina not and Mark Ravlamana both not to stand, which allowed in uh, 2013, Heri Rajwan Arimam Pianini, I'm the oh, only right. one who can say that <laughs> name, and I'll always get it into <laughs> into Jeez. a crossing. But Harry Rajwan Arimam Pianini, try it. <laughs> wow! Anyway, and and uh, he he stood. He was there for one term. Then Rajolini came in on an election, but he's never ever forgotten how bruised he was by South Africa's uh, dealing with him, dealing with the coup. And uh, so those relations are strained, and that's not doing no. bilateral relations any good at all. I'm just looking at, at a list here because I'm a, I'm a nerd for these things. So apparently Madagascar's top import and export partners are France, then the United States, then Germany, then China, then the Netherlands. And we only come in at about six. Um, so they export to us, but they don't import from us. So, I mean, it's interesting, though, that they – for a while, because they're an island, they would have relied only on ships and Air France flights. I mean, it's it's crazy, right? It is crazy. You know, they sell, for example, lychees. Now, it's interesting. The lychee oh. farming there is not really one farmer owns a whole lot. A village owns a tree, and they share it out, or, or trees. And and <laughs> you know, when I was there, I was in in Tamatav in uh, on the west on the uh, east coast. And uh, observing the elections, and there was this line of ships. The election was in November, and this line of ships waiting for the lychees to load, so they could take them off to France for Christmas. Because you know the French and the and the Brits love to eat lychees at Christmas time, uh, and uh, they came they came from Madagascar, and they're delicious. They're as big as golf balls with a minuscule pip wow. in the middle. Are oh, they just the most delicious leeches you've ever had? But this is stuff, that, you know, that, I mean, I'm not saying they should sell it here because we have a, a quite significant leachy uh, market. 
and my son farms lychees. I don't want competition for him, but oh, okay. uh, it's but it's amazing uh, the things that they could buy from us much much cheaper than they could buy from the other trading partners, which they're not doing at this time. And it's uh, uh, um, Rajolina Rajwal, as they call him, who yeah. is cutting cutting off his nose to spite his face. Well, it's interesting. The other thing that they're a big exporter of, uh, 512,000 tons, uh, they sell vanilla, which is another interesting uh, thing to trade in. I brought so vanilla pods and lychees. Isn't that cool? I brought pods and pods oh. of vanilla back, and I was the most popular man with any woman in the neighborhood who cooked. And certainly mm. all my uh, francophone friends, because they love the vanilla, uh, you know, to get actual raw vanilla and, and deal with it that way. I've still got some in my fridge and it's still good. Uh, it's quite amazing. Uh, but and what you can, mm. what you, what you can do with it is just is remarkable. Yeah. All right. So Madagascar, I mean, it just sounds crazy. A lot of people in the comments are saying, ah, four million in gold is not that much. You know, Cyril could hide that in a sofa. I mean, that's a good point. So it's probably it's it's not worth us getting so upset about. Well, is it worth Madagascar getting so upset about? We're uh, we're prosecuting <laughs> these people, and we have a court case in progress. Uh, so uh, you know, uh, it's not enough. Uh, it's not reason for stopping air connection between the two countries, and that's what they did. All right, let's just turn our attention to a, a constant source of. Uh, I, I suppose it's just. Uh, I, I get a bit depressed when I think about the African Union because it seems to me that nothing ever really happens there. It's just a talk shop and it costs all these countries money. It costs the people of these countries money. The leaders all get together. They pat each other on the back. They pretend to be sorting out problems. Nothing ever happens. Um, and I see that African leaders at their summit recently recommitted themselves to red carding countries that have an unconstitutional change of government. At that summit, the Kenyan president, who's William Ruto, he's he's quite new in the job still, by comparison with some of the guys, uh, has slammed a rigged fi- rigged financial system that favors rich polluters. What's this all about? Well, uh, let's just get to the the red carding. The, the the difference between the organization of African Unity and the African Union, two thousand and two, when it was formed here in Pretoria, is that they don't treat themselves as a sort of a coterie, as a club of leaders. They are prepared, and that's post-Rwanda and places like that. They are prepared to call one another out if they get things wrong. And this issue of red carding uh, countries that have a coup uh, is is very, very important because uh, internationally uh, these countries are, uh, are, are ostracized. Uh, although the, some trade continues with them. But for the African Union to have credibility, they have to do it. And South Africa is uh, at the forefront of that. As I mentioned, they got uh, the uh, Madagascans, the Malgash, kicked out. And, you know, we're still paying in a way for uh, pushing very hard on the Egyptian coup that brought El uh, Sisi to power. Uh, and uh, and uh, that coup... Uh, we called we called it a coup, which the Americans weren't prepared to do because of their concern for Egypt in, in the whole Middle East game. Uh, and, and so the reinstate, not reinstatement, but the reinforcement by leaders is important. And currently, Burkina Faso, Guinea, Mali, Sudan, countries we've spoken about, which have had coups in the past two years, are still suspended from the African Union. Well, uh, you know, there are sometimes there have been 
unconstitutional changes of government, but then they were covered up or a son had come in and that sort of thing. JJ, what does it mean to be suspended from the African Union? That's like me not going to a boarding school that I wasn't at in any case. Exactly. You know, like what, 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 what is, what is the downside of not having to go to the stupid meeting and pretend you care? Well, I suppose if you, if you look at the African Union in that light, there's, you know, it's, 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 it's a, a phyric sort of a loss, but it's, the fact is the, the international, uh, uh, the, the, the whole multilateral system revolves around bodies like the African Union, the regional bodies within Africa, all participating and making decisions. But, and if your country for, cannot, for countries- for countries well, like then, Egypt and Sudan, like you mentioned, I mean, there seems to be no cost to not being in the AU. It seems to be a cost to being in the AU. And it's like these people wag fingers at each other, but no, it doesn't really affect anything for the countries that are the pariahs. They well, just carry Egypt on. Was, Egypt was very badly hurt by, by, by being excluded and they worked terribly hard to get back in. And they, that, that's why they had the second election or the election that brought in LCC. Uh, so the countries do take it seriously. Uh, and, and, uh, they're, they're not allowed to, they, they may attend meetings, but they're not allowed to vote. And the point is decisions can be taken that they have no say in. You know, I, yes, certainly the African Union is riddled with problems and could be a whole lot more effective. But it's like the whole multilateral system where I'm obliged many times in speaking to people with a more cynical bent like yourself, that it is better to have it than not to have it. You know, the United Nations, you could say the same thing about what does the United Nations do? And so many times, what has the United Nations done about Ukraine? Well, you know, since they have one of their permanent sanctions holding members who is the aggressor there, they haven't done a thing. But it's better, and, and, you know, with George Bush, when he ran roughshod over the United Nations, people say, well, what's what's the worth of it? Because it costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, it is better to have these organizations than not to have it. That's the system after the Second World War that has uh, transpired, and it's better to have it. Well, we must remember why these organizations were begun, especially the, the League of Nations and then the UN, were, were, were begun to stop world wars. But they've seen, <clears throat> I think, since then to become less and less relevant, and they become much more bureaucratic. There are all these departments within them. They almost run as kind of global uh, would-be governments. You know, you've got UNESCO and mm. you've got all of these other organizations. So many. Which are being funded by all of the countries who are members um, unequally, by the way, some countries pay a lot. Some countries pay absolutely nothing. And then you've got people from, I don't know, the Gambia, which we've discussed on the show before, standing up at the, you, you know, general secretariat and, and, and mouthing off about countries that are paying as if they have an equal standing. It's kind of, it's a little bit ridiculous. I mean, why should South Africa, for example, listen to, uh, what the people of, I don't know, uh, the, the, the Central African Republic have to say about things when we've sent troops there to do things and they've ended up being, um, ambushed and, and, and it was our, our biggest military failure in, in my lifetime, certainly. And why should we listen to countries like that at the AU, for example? Well, if you don't listen to countries, the only country, the only time South Africa didn't pay its dues to the United Nations was when the apartheid regime was being put upon and they didn't pay because they were suspended uh, from the United Nations General Assembly. The fact is the 
I think the leaders of the world take my view more than yours, that it is better to be in these organizations, to be heard, to have of a course, voice yes. than not to have. It, and, it. This and, is the only place they get attention from each other. It's like a big boys club where they all get together and slap each other on the backs and, and have a drink. A nice badge so that they can yeah. say, I'm a part of something. We did it. I mean, I, I, you know, everybody said that when Britain left the EU, it would be the worst thing for them. I don't see anything that has gone horribly wrong for the average Briton, except that it's a little harder to do a bit of travel and tourism. And I wonder if the AU will see some countries eventually just say, oh, well, you know, we don't want to be a part of this, actually. Mm. We don't see any benefit. Well, the only country that's done that has been Morocco. And as for your question of Brexit, I think the Brits are going to pay dearly, and that's coming down the pike at them. I think they're going to pay dearly for having got out of the uh, European Union. But, uh, yeah, the, the, certainly there are, uh, the, 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 there's room to be skeptical about it and certainly room to press for uh, improvements and reforms. But the thing is, I believe those organizations serve a vital need. I'm a, I'm a inveterate multilateralist and I believe that uh, countries need to sit down and talk, even though, uh, well, you do have small okay. countries lecturing, you know, but no, Garrett, if, if we may, if we may move on to William Ruto, he's an interesting new leader and he's saying mm-hmm. that, you know, we Africans pay 10% interest on loans, whereas in Europe they pay between, uh, half a percent and or, or 0.05 and and 0.1% on some of their loans. So it's not fair. We pay a hundred times more for our loans. JJ, isn't, being, that, isn't that because we, we in Africa are borrowing way more money than they are? We, yes. And, and indeed that, that, that is a problem, but he's saying the financial system, uh, it favors the global North against the global South. And well, then certainly, don't borrow money. I mean, that, well, that's the we, obvious we, thing. We, I know if, if, yeah. if you go to, if you and I go to the bank and, and we, <laughs> and the bank says they're going to charge us 10%, either find another bank or don't borrow the money. Well, but if you have to do it to survive, this is the point. And a lot of the time, uh, I'm not saying his argument is absolutely flawless, but the point is we in Africa are paying more for climate change than the rest of the world. And we are not the instigators or the, 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 the culprits in climate change. Yeah, there I so, agree. So, the, so, so the countries that are, that are causing it, the developed countries, uh, they should be paying us more uh, in mitigation, and they're not. And uh, so we're having to borrow. Um, th- that's mm-hmm. not the only reason we're having to borrow, but one of the major reasons we're having to borrow because of these uh, natural disasters that are occurring, uh, the droughts, the flooding, and that sort of thing. So uh, he's making and then, a point. And again, again, this is what you go to multilateral organizations for, to make points like that. And, and if, uh, if it does make some countries sit up and think again, then he's done his job. But if not, well. Mm. And, and JJ, I mean, it also, you've got to ask about the countries themselves because they, they also have agency here. I mean, South Africa's just taken a nice lump sum from America on the basis that we're going to cut down on our carbon emissions and we're going to go to renewable energy uh, in a country where we have plenty of coal and we have a huge problem generating electricity because of the self-same government, but they're happy to take a check from the United States. So we've also got to look at ourselves and go, hang on, you know, we can sit and complain, but this is well, self-imposed. When we, when we hosted the global change, uh, global, the climate summit, you know, uh, what's Durban, it, yeah. yeah, 
well, there they were saying, you know, we've got to get rid of coal. We've got to get rid of coal. And South Africa was saying, really? <laughs> we no, rely no. on coal. Absolutely. You know, we can't be part of this. We're hosting this conference, but you know, watch your mouth. You cannot, you cannot expect us to go along with what you're saying. So, you know, the, again, climate change is not something we're going to sort out, uh, you know, on the show. But the fact is, Things have to be said. Things have to be pointed out. And that's what William Ruto was doing. And I think it's going to be more and more. And I think we, we're learning in terms of climate change that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's past midnight now and we're going to yeah. have to do something dramatic. And I do believe um, the multilateral system is the, is the format for uh, bringing this to light. Well, uh, there's a very serious question here from somebody who said, if South Africa did leave the AU, would it be called Sexit? Such an important question. We need to know, JJ. We need to know right now. <laughs> I I thought that I was handling the jokes quite well, but clearly I let that one through. Eh? Sorry. I'm, like, right, I'm like an aging Spurs goalkeeper. You know, I'm, I'm not bad, but at the big moments, I'm sorry I let you down. <laughs> well, you have stood up for multilateralism. So, I mean, at least there's that. And uh, thank you for explaining the Madagascar thing to us as well as, uh, mm. as, as as Kenya and this financial system that they're worried about. But I appreciate you being a part of the show, as we all do every single uh, second week, I think it is. And uh, we'll see you again in two weeks' time. Lovely to be with you. Very good. That's Bye, JJ, JJ Cornish, who is our man on all things African, and it's brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. There's a lot that goes on just north of our border that most of us, because of the media not paying any attention, we wouldn't have about. a cooking clue what is going on. JJ is like, literally, he's the, the, he's the guy. He's the guy who's <laughs> literally giving us all the information because for whatever reason, most of the stuff is just generally not being blasted in the news. Or if it is, you know, it's not like we're going out there looking for it. I'm always, always happy to hear from JJ. Have you ever like sat with him and had a conversation? It's, it's something else. Well, luckily, we get to do that every uh, second week on the show. There you go. That's what we do. Cliffcentral.com.